It's so funny. Too often we think to ourselves that we don't like how God has hardwired our husband differently from us. But it turns out that through that hardwiring, God protects us from the worst that we could possibly bring on ourselves. Ladies, I realize that I have interrupted our series on living the serenity prayer for three weeks now, but there is a pedagogy to these podcasts, and as I review what I want to cover for the subsequent parts on living the serenity prayer, there just keeps being more that I feel needs to be said before deep diving into those disrespectful behaviors. In some ways, though, it is also providential um, because when we do deep dive into disrespectful behaviors over the course of a few episodes, it'll be intense. And maybe it's a good thing then that those episodes will fall closer to or actually within the season of Advent when we want anyway to make extra efforts to be more intentional. What prompted this episode was a quote shared by a friend. This quote is from Colleen Hammond, who is the author of Dressing with Dignity. Quote, women themselves do not admire a circumstance in which the wife is the head of the family, since the woman who rules her husband may despise him precisely because he allows her to dominate him. End quote. And that quote got me thinking about a verse from 1 Corinthians, and I normally use the Revised Standard Version, 2nd Catholic Edition translation, when I quote sacred, uh, sacred scripture in these podcasts. But this time, I'm intentionally using the Jerusalem Bible translation. So this is 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 18 to 20. Quote, The language of the cross may be illogical to those who are not on the way to salvation, but those of us who are on the way see it as God's power to save. As scripture says, I shall destroy the wisdom of the wise and bring to nothing all the learning of the learned. Where are the philosophers now? Where are the scribes? Where are any of our thinkers today? Do you see now how God has shown up the foolishness of human wisdom? End quote. I was then speaking with another friend and pointing out some things to this friend where our fallen instinct as wives makes us think that we want a certain something with regards to our husbands, but God protects us from ourselves via our hardwiring or our husband's hardwiring. And we don't like it, but it's only because we don't take time to think it through. And the benefit of thinking it through is that when we grasp what God is getting at, or at least begin to, then it's easier to embrace his wisdom and his designs, at least in our heads and hearts. It doesn't necessarily make the actual practice easier, but any difficult thing that you attempt is always made lighter 
when you have a deep conviction that it is the right thing to do. So going back to that quote from Colleen Hammond, God's wisdom is hidden in the fact that we actually reject <laughs> a situation where we have to be head of the household, where we, we actually don't like it. Um, we think that we want that to be the case um, in certain situations, but then when it actually comes down to it, God has hardwired us women to want a man to take care of us and to lead us. If that seems like a terribly vague collection of statements, this whole podcast episode is going to be me giving examples of what I mean. <laughs> and you need not fear remaining in the dark any longer. So here's the first example. Number one, we women want our husbands to pay more attention to us when we're in a bad mood. <laughs> and our husbands don't like to look at us when we're in bad moods. If they can help it, they avoid us. So my premise for each of these examples is that God's wisdom is hidden in how each of these examples tend to naturally play out. And we may not like it initially, but that if we take the time to think it through or talk it through as we're doing now, we can find that wisdom and hopefully find it easier to live by and to be grateful for. If we can constantly remind ourselves of God's hidden wisdom, our outlook on life will be considerably brighter overall. So where is God's wisdom in our husbands not liking to look at us when we're in bad moods and avoiding us at all costs if they can help it? Well, when we're in a bad mood, <laughs> at best we're exhibiting behaviors which make us difficult to love. The worst case scenario, however, is that we are actually in a state of sin. We say this over and over again in these podcasts. It is no small thing to be harboring bitterness, anger, resentment, or unforgiveness. Harboring any of these are mortal sins. So let's talk a little bit about priests, specifically our confessors. It is God's wisdom that they need not know who is making a confession in order to be able to grant absolution and that they need not interact with that individual day in and day out. Our priests see the ugliest parts of humanity in the confessional and yet they are called to persevere in love for each and every one of us. Now our husband is also called to persevere in his love for us, but unlike our confessor, he knows us intimately and interacts with us daily. And if this is what he sees in us constantly, these ugly, sinful things, bitterness, resentment, anger, unforgiveness, then at some point, he will no longer be able to separate the sin from the sinner. If what he sees consistently is his wife in a state of sin, he will reach a point where because of the daily proximity, he will not be able to look at his wife and say, my wife is committing the sin of unforgiveness. Rather, he will look at his wife and see an unforgiving person. He will see a woman defined by unforgiveness. And once he hits that point, he will see her through that lens at all times. 
So in God's wisdom, God made our husbands so that they don't like to look at us when we're in a bad way, lest they should come to despise us for only seeing us when we are wallowing in those things which we should despise in ourselves. We should despise sin. We should despise it when we find it within ourselves and be seeking fervently to eradicate it. Furthermore, our men know instinctively that they cannot stop us from sinning. That is on us to choose to not sin. So seeing us in sin is not a motivator for a husband to do anything differently. And wanting our husband to do something differently is usually why we deliberately display our bad mood. So there you have it. There's the first example of where God's wisdom might be somewhat hidden. But it's worth digging for and embracing. God is trying to protect your husband from being hurt beyond repair by your sin. And God is also trying to protect you from being despised by your husband. So hopefully that example makes sense of what I was trying to get at earlier. I'm going to assume that you're following and keep going. Example number two is that our husbands like to look at us when we're happy. And our folly as wives is thinking that if we appear happy, he won't know that anything is wrong or that he needs to change. So where is God's wisdom here? Well, God hardwired men to want to be able to keep up with a standard. He hardwired men to detest any attempts to control or manipulate them, but he also hardwired men to desire and to respect a real, authentic challenge, one that tests their strengths and pushes them to the limit. It's also important for men to be able to decide how important it is for them to beat a challenge. They do not like being told how important something should be to them. This is why chastity prior to marriage falls on a woman's shoulders to hold men too. Men don't respect women who are willing to hand them sex on a silver platter with no strings attached. Some of the especially cowardly ones may growl and gripe about a woman who won't put out for him, but it only shows how much they despise their own weakness and inability to meet that standard. And it makes them ugly ugly to look at, ugly to be around, ugly to have to put up with. But a man who is being ugly about a woman's standards has absolutely nowhere to point his fingers if she's setting those standards with a big old smile on her face. <laughs> that smile on her face communicates confidence, self-esteem, security. He's got nothing on you. Furthermore, ladies, if we are honest... <laughs> We like setting standards and we like having our standards met. We like having that kind of influence. We like having that kind of power. And we enjoy when a man reaches with his whole person to meet us at a higher level. That gives us great satisfaction. But we make very poor use of these truths of God's wisdom in marriage. What does a husband see when he looks at us closely when we're happy? He sees all of the things that he admires about us. And mind you, I did speak to my husband about these examples. <laughs> 
he sees our bravery, our forbearance, our courage. He sees all the things in us that makes him want to be good enough for us. Probably all those things that he fell in love with initially and wanted to be continually inspired by back when you were dating. At the lowest level, he wants at least to not be ashamed in our presence. At his best, he wants to be proud of the job that he's doing walking us to heaven. When we are in a bad place, when we're in a state of sin and demanding to be attended to, why would he be ashamed of anything that he's doing? When we are actively demonstrating that we have incredibly low standards for our own behavior. In fact, when we're in that state of sin, we're giving him every reason to be properly ashamed of us. Low standards are not inspiring. And how often is it that we think we are holding high standards for our husband, but demonstrating a double standard in having the lowest standards for ourselves? So God, in his wisdom, has hardwired men <laughs> to not want to look too closely or even be around us at all when we're at our worst. And he has also hardwired men to be thoroughly attracted to and desiring to look long and carefully at a woman exuding joy and delight in life and being hardwired thus men are in an excellent position to be constantly reminded of a high standard which they must take pains to discipline themselves in various areas of life in order to meet so take advantage of that position by being disciplined yourself in choosing joy and be that constant reminder for your husband to reach for sainthood and heaven. Number three, our husband does not want to be solely responsible for our happiness. We wives, especially when we're angry, can be hyper reactive to our husband's behavior. We can sometimes go through periods when we allow our mood to be entirely dependent on how happy we are or are not with our husband's behavior. St. Therese of Lisieux says, quote, the only happiness on this earth is to be determined to always find that what Jesus gives us is delightful, end quote. When we allow our mood to be dependent on our husband's behavior, this is actually a form of idolatry. Joy is a sign of grace which means that God is the source of both grace and joy. And when we say that we cannot be joyful because our husband is displeasing us, we are putting him above God. And so the way that comes off to us is that our husband doesn't care that we're upset, right? But in God's wisdom, he hardwired our husband to instinctively know that it is wrong of us, that it is actually sinful of us, 
to base our mood on his behavior. So he does not take the bait. And when our husband doesn't take the bait, what that does is it forces us to deal with our sin. And therefore it works towards our sanctification. Number four, our husband instinctively rejects any attempts to control or manipulate or dominate him. We want him to listen to us and to do things when we tell him to do them. And we hold grudges against him and call him stubborn about wanting to do things his way and on his own initiative. Very similar to the previous example, except this time when we attempt to control or manipulate our husbands or dominate him, we are attempting to play God. We are insisting that our husband idolize us. So again, he doesn't take the bait. We get angry and say things like, my husband never listens to me. Ah, but husbands do and will listen when communication is carried out with respect for him. See, it's that respect that banishes the possibility of idolization, either on your part or on his. So your husband will only respond well to respectful communication. And again, that is for your sanctification as much as it is for him to reject the temptation to allow you to be his God. Number five, our husband has been given authority by God to have the last word in any major family decision. We're not okay with this any time that we feel that we are better equipped to make the decision on the table when we think we're more competent or better credentialed to make a call on something. Ladies, this is very simple. First, that what decisions God sends your family's way are the decisions God has determined that your husband needs to make in order to grow and to be sanctified as God intends for him to be. It is not about credentials. You might know better, but that's God calling your husband to be better rounded, to be a more learned person, and it is for your sanctification that God put you under the authority of a man. Sometimes he will use your husband to humble you. God works through the people in our lives. The weight of having the last word, and I've said this before, is not something that I begrudge my husband. It is an honor for me when my husband consults me on a matter and I am affirmed when he does that because it means that he knows that I respect him and respect his headship and will continue to respect him regardless of if he takes my advice or not. It is a lovely feeling when a husband invites a wife to share her expertise. And if you want that kind of relationship, you need to have a culture of respect. For my part, I am perfectly content to not be held accountable by God for making such important decisions. That means that I can share whatever I think is important to share, and that's all I'm responsible for. 
My husband answers to God on behalf of our entire family, not just himself. Whereas all I have to answer for is me. <laughs> and that is quite enough of a burden to answer for myself. So this list was not in any way intended to be comprehensive. My purpose in presenting this small handful of just five examples is that when you're learning about the biblical model of marriage and how to live it, and it seems like things just don't make sense or aren't fair, make a point of starting to look intentionally for where God's wisdom may be hidden, specifically in how men and women are hardwired. I intentionally inserted this episode prior to the episodes on disrespectful behaviors because when we go through those behaviors, I know, I know from my own experience that there is going to be an instinctive knee-jerk rebellion which will pop up in the hearts of many of my listeners. And I just want to say maintaining a culture of respect in your marriage is not easy. I have to examine myself daily. And the first major hurdle is accepting that it is my proper role as a wife to take responsibility for creating and cultivating that culture of respect or a culture of gratitude or a culture of joy. And what gets in the way far too often is that we wives want our husband to do our job for us because we're afraid. Not just of failure, but of the pain that often comes with being a bigger person because that's what it means to cultivate any type of culture is to be the person who models it consistently no matter what anyone else is doing at the end of the day ladies it is a fear of loving of really loving your family especially your husband because the more we love the more we open ourselves up to be hurt the more it does hurt and the more likely we are to be hurt Love goes against our fallen ideas of self-preservation, but love is, at its perfection, thoroughly self-sacrificial, and it is our only path to heaven. Thank you so much for joining us. You can find all the quotes and resources referenced in today's episode on our website. We'd love to hear from you. And we're looking forward to having you with us again next week on the Will to Wife podcast. Mm-hmm.